St. Paul wrote, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day and for all the wonderful blessings that you pour down upon us. We thank you for your invitation to each and every one of us individually to be with you this morning in worship. We pray the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us now. Father, I pray that the words that I share will not be mine, but yours. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have us hear, and then allow us, Lord, to put that into practice. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning to you all. Good morning. It is an honor and pleasure to be with you all uh, again here at Jesus the Good Shepherd. And uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but you all are a, a wonderful and unique congregation. Uh, Friday night, uh, Father Howard asked me, so what are the things you're rejoicing in? And I, I could honestly say I'm rejoicing in Jesus the Good Shepherd and, and all that you're doing. And while they would never say it, you have a, a rock star in Father Howard and Deacon Aaron as a ministry couple, and uh, I am just honored to worship with them again. Today is a, a very important day. I get to join with Waters and Sarah Price as they will come forward, offer the three ancient renunciations against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the three affirmations in Christ as their Lord and Savior and the authority of the Word of God. And they're asking God to help them to live a life that reflects His grace and His love. And after that, I will have the honor of joining in the ancient rite of laying hands upon them and asking God the Holy Spirit to release gifts in them that will both edify the church and bless them as well. And we do this all in the context of the third Sunday of Advent, also known as Rose Sunday or Gaudete Sunday. This is this, the season of Advent as we march forward towards, uh, towards Christmas. We light the candles each Sunday, and each candle has uh, a meaning of, of joy, hope, peace. Oh, what's the fourth? Love, joy, hope, peace, and, and love. Virtues that we're called to express in response to the incarnation of our Lord, but also in anticipation of his coming to join us again. We use different colors during this season, the color of purple, the color of, of royalty to receive Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, but also the color of suffering, remembering that the incarnation of our Lord, that great moment leads to his suffering and death so that ultimately he may pay the price on the cross so that we do not have to. And today on Rose Sunday, on Gaudete Sunday, Rejoicing Sunday, we remember the special place of our Lord's mother, the Virgin Mary who said yes to the angel Gabriel, who said yes to God the Holy Spirit, who said yes to receiving God in her life 
and to become literally Theotokos, the bearer of God. Now, before we get on to our confirmation, I'd like to open the word of God with you, and I'd like to to look uh, more deeply today at our epistle lesson. It's from the uh, 1 Thessalonians and the 5th chapter. I'm going to concentrate on verses 16 to 24. St. Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil. Now, as St. Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica, he's writing because the church has had some internal struggles. Some people are working hard, and some people are hardly working. Some teachers had come in and were questioning what Paul was saying, which really, is that what he means, you know? And then there had been moral concerns raised about people who, whose lives Monday through Saturday had nothing to do with their life on Sunday morning. Not, like, none of our churches ever have to go through any of that, right? I mean, all of our churches in the Diocese of San Joaquin are pristine and perfect and one of the great joys I have as a bishop is never, ever, ever having to do discipline. <laughs> and if you believe that, I have some oceanfront property to sell you just outside of the door here. Right? I mean, what he's talking about is, is normal life within the church. We are a fallen people. Right? The, the church that, that God has called forth is beautiful and gracious, but it's made up of people who are all sinners in need of a Savior. And Paul's response to this is like, look it, here it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, right? Avoid evil. He's asking the people of God to be holy. He's asking the people of God to be holy. He's asking you to be holy. He's asking me to be holy. This is the response that we have to a fallen world. Now, if you're like me, that first response is, yeah, that's for other people, right? I mean, the bishop can be holy. Oh, darn it, that's me, right? I mean, it's always somebody else can be, it's always somebody else's job to be holy, but he's not saying, hey, let the bishops be holy, let the priests be holy. Let the people of God be holy. And you'll hear Sarah Price and Waters, when they make their third affirmation, they say, I will, the Lord being my helper, because we have to call on God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. And of course, why does Paul call us forth? Because the Word of God tells us this. Listen to Jesus in the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You, therefore, must be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why does Jesus say that? Because in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, he says, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, will we ever make it? I don't know. But because we don't know if we'll make it to a place of holiness does not mean we should not try. And it is the journey 
the relying on God's grace that lifts us up and propels us forward. So in this short lesson, uh, St. Paul gives us three do's and three don'ts. It's pretty straightforward. Do rejoice, do pray, do give thanks. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. And don't do evil. So let's look at a little bit closer at these things. Do. Do rejoice always. What is the joy that St. Paul is talking about here? Is, is, is it that sort of ecstatic feeling that you see a three-year-old go for? I mean, when my kids were, were young, I used to love to see, you know, Christmas morning, or actually we open our gifts on Epiphany. On Epiphany morning, to see my son, you know, a three-year-old, open up the gift and see a red Tonka truck. And he would just like shake with joy. It's like, oh, life is perfect. I got a Tonka truck, right? Is that what St. Paul's talking about? That we should have such joy like a little child? No. I mean, yes, in some part, but not, not really. Or is it the joy that we have when you go out to dinner with with really good friends, and you may not have seen them for five years, but you get together for dinner, and it's like you were together last week, and the conversation just picks up, and it's good food and good conversation, and there's just this wonderful satisfaction. Yes and no. It is much deeper than that, and much more profound. Imagine the joy of a mother and father whose child is in surgery. And they have been waiting for hour after hour after hour for the doctor to come out. And they're sitting there and the door opens down the hall and they look and they see the doctor coming forward and you see a big smile on her face. And there is this sense of anticipation. And she says, it went better than we could have ever hoped for. Your little girl's gonna be just fine. And there is this gratitude, this joy, this relief, all mixed up into one. That's what it means to rejoice always because Jesus is that doctor who has come down the, the hallway to say, it's okay, all will be well, all will be well. Jesus' brother, St. James, tells us this in, in James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. St. Paul is saying that it's not this, this fleeting feeling that we have, but even in the midst of trials and struggles, we're called to rejoice. Not simply as a feeling, but as a determination, as, as a decision that even in the midst of this, I am going to rejoice. And if we think of the worst things, right? I mean, how do we rejoice even when we're sorrowful? How do we love even when we're just profoundly angry? And yet God gives us the grace to do this. Think of, of being uh, at a requiem mass. And you gather to, to well, I just think of... of Howard Sr., Father Howard's father, when we gathered here, right? It was a moment of, 
of great sadness and sorrow that Howard had died and that we wouldn't see him again, but it was a great joy in knowing that, that the Lord had called our brother home. Our brother who had recently had Holy Communion and received the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is both joy even in the midst of that sorrow. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says of Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy does not remove sorrow, just as you can love and hate at the same time, but joy propels us through it. The image that comes to mind for me is it's that anchor that holds the ship tight even when the seas all around are greatly turbulent. So Paul says, rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing in verse 17. How how can we always pray? I think that's easier to understand than always rejoicing, actually. The Catholic apologist Peter Kreft tells us that prayer can always exist in the subconscious mind, even though it can't always be in the conscious mind. He says uh, there are things that uh, are very much alive and real all around us all the time when we don't consciously attend to them. I don't consciously attend to my age or or my, my gender, and yet it's around me all the time. When I gather with my children, who now are, are adults, but when I gather and I, and I hug them, and then I hug somebody else's children, adults or not, it's not the same. I don't hug them in the same way because in, in my subconscious, I'm aware of that. Well, I have a good friend who says, look, if you take the prayer book and you dedicate six weeks And you say, for six weeks, I'm going to say the morning office every day. He says, I promise it will change your life. And I think it does. Because when we sit with the Lord, when we begin that process, then the rest of the day, even though we're not consciously praying, we've already gifted it to the Lord. We've already said, take it over. Duke, my brother, said here this morning, he said, every morning I get up and I put on the armor of God. He says, before I get out of bed and I just start there, and it's like, that's how you pray um, without ceasing. That you just give it over to the Lord. It's not necessarily a conscious prayer all the time, but it is a conscious submission to him as often as we can. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. St. Paul's dues giving thanks is probably the easiest of all. You can give thanks even when you don't feel thankful. I have to do this a lot because I have a really good assistant who has no trouble saying, Bishop, you got that wrong. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and usually there's like a, thanks. But it's a real thanks. It's like, okay, you just saved me from making a fool of myself, which is super easy for me to do. Like after Father Howard tells me six times, don't forget we're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then what did I do? I forgot to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? Raul's like, nope, Bishop, 
This is, and so it's a thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you for loving me enough to say, you know, you got this wrong. The Lord does not necessarily command us to feel grateful all the time. But he says, even in the midst of struggles and strife, know this, God can turn everything around. And when we're giving thanks, we are saying that. We're saying, you are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. I am your creation. You don't need to say to me, as you said to Job, were you there when I created the heavens and the earth? I know that you love me more than I could ever ask or imagine. So even in the midst of, midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of my sin, I will say thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving me more than I could ever ask or imagine. Again, Peter Kraft says, it's done when we pray the greatest of all prayers that Jesus prayed himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. A holy life requires our action, but it also requires our refusal to act. So St. Paul lays out the three do not. He says, do not quench the spirit. Now, when he says this, do not quench the spirit, he's not, talking, he, he's not talking about our spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. We should often quench our spirit, right? But not quench the Holy Spirit. To know that God the Holy Spirit is moving and shaking all the time. To ask God to open our hearts and minds to see his hand at work in the world around us and to say, Lord, make me, as St. Francis did, an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is doubt, faith, despair, hope. When we ask God the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives and to use us, which is exactly what we're asking God the Holy Spirit to do for waters and for Sarah Price, knowing that he's already doing that already in their ministries, but we're asking him to open them up even more and for a better way. And yet he says this, test everything, retain what is good. So it's not simply a, a, a blind, immature faith saying, oh, listen, you know, uh, God's going to do whatever he's going to do, so everything's perfect. It's not that. He says, look at if." If you think it's the Holy Spirit, test it. Look at the Word of God. Does it match the Word of God? If, the, if you hear people saying, oh, the Lord's doing a new thing, you better check up on that. Right? The Lord's doing a new thing. He's, letting us, uh, uh, he's given us the science to be able to grow human beings in a Petri dish. This is a good thing, right? We better test that. By the way, the answer is no. It's not a good thing. The Lord's given us artificial intelligence. This is a really good thing, right? Maybe we need to test it. There's a word why it's artificial intelligence. I will pray for, water, for Waters and Sarah Price for a spirit of wisdom 
and counsel and might. There is nothing artificial in that. But because it comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He says, Do not despise prophetic utterances. All too often when we think of, of prophecy, we think of, of Old Testament prophets who were prophets in every way. You know, but they always said, look it, repent and return to the Lord or this is going to happen. These are going to be the consequences of your sin. They're not simply foretelling what's going to happen, but, he's, but they're saying you can change. Right? And so when we when we um, have prophetic utterances, it's when we speak the word and will of God. And every time Father Howard gets up and he preaches, he's being a prophet, as long as he's sticking to the scriptures. And if he stops sticking to the scriptures, call me, please. <laughs> right? And tell him, you know, what are you, what are you talking about that for? Stick to the scriptures. That, that, that to, to get up and to prophesy is the greatest of responsibilities and privileges to share the word of God. And we do that individually as you know, clergy and leading Bible studies. God can use you for the same thing. But he does it for the church as a whole. That we as a church, the one holy, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, have throughout time said, here is what the word and will of God is. And often, 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 that is at odds with what the world is saying around us. Perhaps the, the best example of that is the church's teaching on sexual morality. Right? The church has always said, Sex is a beautiful and wonderful thing held within the confines of a marriage between one man and one woman in a lifelong commitment. That it is so powerful that outside of those confines, it can destroy lives just as it can bring forth life. There are too many times that even we in the church say, wow, that is a hard teaching. And I like all the other things in the, in the teaching of the church that I agree with, but this one, it's a hard one, so I'm just going to ignore that. Well, the Word of God also says you ignore it to your own peril. And when we look at the sea of broken lives of men and women who didn't understand the grace and charity of sex within its proper bounds. And we just weep. We just weep. We meet, weep for them, but we also weep for the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of children who have been aborted because a man and a woman couldn't withhold their passions. And so, St. Paul writes, do not despise prophetic utterances, but he also writes, abstain from every evil. 
so that even when we do wrong, even when we doubt that prophetic utterance and we, 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 we break God's holy rules and commandments, he says, come back here. Kneel before this cross. Ask God for his forgiveness. And you know what he does. He forgives us. And he makes us whole. But he says, go and sin no more. He says, don't just give in to your passions. Don't just listen to the voice of Satan or temptation, which always has a short-term goal and a short-term joy, but long-term pain. Satan says, following the rules of the church, it's just uh, going to put you in in some sort of, what is the word? Restrain your freedoms. It's just going to restrain your freedoms. But in actuality, when we listen to the word of God, when we seek to live good and holy lives, we find ourselves absolutely free because we know who we are in Jesus Christ and we know who we are not. Our identity is clear. And we can be bold. As Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 3, the truth will set you free. And we know ultimately that God has a plan that is greater than everything. That he will create a new heaven and a new earth as we heard from Isaiah this morning. And as we hear again in the book of Revelation, if you're reading the, the morning office today, we heard about Satan being cast down that we know who wins in the end of this great battle. And so let us stay on the side of the angels. Because what God promises, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, is what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And so in this season of Advent, on this Gaudete rejoicing Sunday, let us once again, with Waters and Sarah Price, renounce the flesh, the world, and the devil and affirm our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Let us affirm the word of God as being authoritative and that we live under that authority and let us affirm the teaching of the faith to be correct and right and honorable and ask God the Holy Spirit to lead us in that. And then listen to this benediction that, that uh, St. Paul gives to the people who say yes to these. In verses 23 and 24 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we hear now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who calls you faithful, he will surely do it. And to that I say, amen.